Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 94. Thank you guys for, for waiting two weeks for us to, to get back to it. Um, <laughs> it's a funny thing of our production process that the summer is usually the most likely point where we're going to uh, have a couple of weeks missing. And, on, <laughs> and having babies does not, does not help that. So, <laughs> No, no. I've had two children this year. Yeah, one each, just FYI. In Neither case, of us. Brad's had two children yeah. <laughs> this year, uh, expecting a third in a couple months. Just don't ask. Uh, um, no, I was just gonna say I I am deathly sick over here, whole family sick. So so just uh, pardon any interruptions on my end. I'm gonna, <laughs> which is why you're going to work in a few hours. I'm, I am I am going to work in a, in a little bit, but don't worry about that. I'm I'm mostly past it. You know, the the main sickness is gone, but you know how that lingering cough, Dan, will just stay with you for a while. Oh, it stays with me for yeah, months. Yeah, I'm not going to take weeks off of work garbage. just because I can't talk or breathe. Or breathe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once the main sickness is gone, I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't have a fever. I'm fine. Yeah. Who cares if I can't breathe? Exactly. But anyways, we, today, we were going to be continuing our discussion on Austrian economic principles, but unfortunately, we're going to have to wait a second because in the interim, in these past two weeks, the Supreme Court has passed a slew of – well, has ruled on a slew of cases. I uh, had a Freudian slip there where I said passed because they passed a bunch of new laws is uh, <laughs> is how we tend to look at it and how it tends to be in actuality because – They unpassed a few laws is what because, they did. <laughs> uh, because uh, President Biden has been in office for what, you know, a year and a half now? And in the past two weeks, the Supreme Court has done more than he has in the past year and a half. So uh, yes. in, in terms yeah, of effective power, this has been quite the uh, the showing from the Supreme Court. So we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that instead. Um, we're going to be talking about a few cases. Um, obviously, we're going to be talking about Dobbs versus Jackson, which is Roe v. Wade. We also want to talk about the. Uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which is the significant gun case that just came up. But there's also a couple other, um, I guess you call them dark horse cases we'd like to talk about that are a little less well known. One, Shin versus Ramirez, which deals with uh, the appeals process, and Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, which uh, involves school prayer so that's a lot to go over dan should we start with the the biggest ones and work our way down smallest ones and work our way up? i think smallest ones medium ones up. and work our mm-hmm. way outwards yes yeah <laughs> let's start with the smallest ones and work our way up to dobbs versus jackson the roe okay. v wade one because the reason we want to go through this series of cases is not necessarily just because of the consequences of each of these specific cases as major as some of them are but because of what they suggest about the future of the Supreme Court. And that becomes very clear as we start looking at at uh, Justice Thomas Clarence. I almost said Justice Clarence Thomas's, or Justice, what did I say the other day? Clarence's Thomas? Yeah, Clarence's Thomas. <laughs> I, I keep having the word justice in there uh, really off, thrown yeah. off where I put the possessive. <laughs> his, uh, his concurring opinion in that case, which has sparked a lot of uh, – uh, Anxiety in some quarters and hope in others um, it may suggest uh, where the court may go forward from this point and, and that we may actually have a new era in terms of, of judicial rulings. There have been four or three major eras of the Supreme Court where they're operating on significantly different principles, and this may signal the fourth one in our entire history, and that would be a massive deal about the law going forward. And I think he means Supreme Court history, not our entire history. Because in my <laughs> entire history, there's been seven clear eras. 
your <laughs> seven clear. Now you've got me curious. I I almost want to ask you what they are just to see if you can if I could if I could add lib. I think I could. I think I could, but we're not going to go there. This is it's much harder than three. That's for sure. <laughs> no I have kidding. three points. I no want to make. <laughs> okay, so let's start with Shin versus Ramirez. So this one, first of all, was not decided in the last two weeks. That's how dark horse it is. It was decided a little bit earlier in May of this year, the end of May. So that makes it. A little over a month ago, a month and a half ago, five weeks, six weeks. I don't want to do the the week math, um, and it is. Weak and it's math. possible. It's possible the the time they're putting the decision maybe when they decided it, but they're releasing them now. I don't actually know that that bit of minutia about how the Supreme Court cases date their cases because they've decided all of these in the last couple months, it's, and now it's they're releasing true, them but, now. But, but I, I don't know when they date it. Was you think this one was released earlier? Yeah, okay. but it just just slipped under the radar. So Shin versus Ramirez is a little bit nitty gritty. It uh, it's a case that centers around when you can appeal a verdict. So what you have is a uh, is is David Ramirez and Barry Jones. They were convicted of murder, sentenced to death, and appealed the case, and. Because they uncovered a bunch of stuff that wasn't initially covered in their trial. And recently, in 2012, the Supreme Court had ruled that prisoners could actually use ineffectiveness of counsel after a conviction as a reason for the for a federal court to hear a case. So normally how it works is, is the, the states have to hear a case. Sorry, I'm explaining this poorly. You ha- have a criminal case. You get a, a guilty verdict. If you don't get a guilty verdict, you're not going to appeal it, right? Hopefully. Right. I mean, unless you're you're really incompetent. Because um, otherwise you just plead guilty. You get a guilty, you get a guilty <laughs> verdict and you appeal that guilty verdict in the state where you are. And then if that state still rules with the original verdict – there are certain circumstances that allow you to appeal to the federal courts. And if you don't meet those circumstances, you're not always able to appeal to the federal court, or at least they won't hear your appeal, right? Because there are lots of appeals, but whether or not your case actually gets heard is usually one of the most important parts because they don't hear so many cases, kind of like the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's decision not to hear a case is also a decision. And so there's criteria that has to be met. Well, in 2012, Martinez versus Ryan, <clears throat> the Supreme Court changed that procedure where they said if your post conviction counsel was ineffective, you can appeal to the federal court. So, yeah, you had a state uh, appeal that was bungled. And so you can appeal to the federal court to get that overturned. And so in this case, you have these people where their original case was bungled, their secondary case was bungled, and they're appealing to the federal court to try and get some justice. In Shin versus Ramirez, they're actually overturning Martinez versus Ryan and saying, actually, no, it is not enough of a reason to have ineffective counsel after your conviction. And the argument is, is that... The counsel is primarily the wouldn't call them. I, do you call them a suspect at that point? The because <laughs> they're 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 actually convicted, but uh, the the appealee's the responsibility. Appellant. Yes, yeah. the appellate's responsibility. And if they bungled it, then it's on them, basically. And that the federal court is not supposed to overstep, and that the primary focus needs to be on the state's ability to control the court. You know what I mean? That they want it to be more efficient and yes. focused on the state, not on the federal level. And, and Yes, and there, there's some reason for this because you've got – the state's going to have their own laws and their procedures within the court system are going to vary a little bit. And so if you wanted to – if you're going to let – you have to be careful in where you let a federal court step in because in practice what you may end up doing is simply saying – the state laws don't matter, only the federal ones do, which is a huge problem because the states run most of the court system. <laughs> it would be, you know, it would be centralizing. And so that line between the state court and when it can appeal to the federal court 
is actually a critical line in terms of who is in charge of this. <clears throat> so anyway, keep, carry on. So in this case, it's, it's nitty gritty. It doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, and the conservative justices ruled that, you know, that they, they didn't have the right to appeal it to the, to the federal courts. And a lot of people are, are citing, you know, states' rights as a justification for this. You know what I mean? It fits in with states' rights that, you know, mm -hmm. Clarence Thomas, who authored the majority opinion, talks about the need for the states to be deciding their own cases, as Dan was saying. And then, of course, you've got the dissenting opinion written by Sotomayor, who argues that, in fact, when you look at the Sixth Amendment, it is pretty clear that you have a right to effective counsel. When they talk about the right to assistance for counsel, and therefore, the federal government, does, the federal courts have a legitimate role in protecting those rights over that of the states. I think that Sotomayor is right. I think that so much of our criminal court case setup is nonsense. Our, our criminal procedures are out of control and they have gotten so far away from what the Constitution actually says. So if you actually go and you look at the Sixth Amendment, it reads like this. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in, witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. So that's the Sixth Amendment. You know, it's the, the whole idea behind the Sixth Amendment is to protect people's rights, right? To protect them from being convicted unjustly, to protect the innocent, to make sure before anyone's thrown in prison that they're actually guilty of whatever crimes they're being charged with. In practice, however, many of these balls get dropped, and the reason they get dropped is because when we're looking at things, we're not looking at what the Constitution actually says and what it means. We're looking at so many other things. One of the most common things we look at is historically, how have we done things? Time and time again, when the Supreme Court is looking at things, they look at the history of it. And they say, okay, well, here's the history of how the law has been applied, and so that's how we're gonna apply it here. So yes, you had to wait two years for your trial, but that's normal, and so we're gonna say that's fine, even though it's clearly not a speedy trial. And, <laughs> yeah. and the same thing is happening here, where it's like, okay, you didn't really actually have the assistance of counsel in any meaningful sense of the word because the counsel didn't assist you. In fact, they bungled your case so poorly that basic evidence wasn't brought forward and now you're on death row, but that doesn't matter because that's just how we've done it. And that just makes no sense to me, Dan. That just seems so backwards. No, it doesn't. Um, it's an interesting question of, uh, so by making this decision, the Supreme Court puts the ball in the state to fix their process. But as you said, they certainly could have done it through the federal courts because this is a federal guarantee mm -hmm. through the Constitution. Um, now, there are earlier questions that we're, that we're assuming here, like initially under the Constitution, there were no public defenders. You had a right to counsel, which meant you could get it if you wanted it, right? right? And that was on you. Mm -hmm. um, there was no positive uh, sense that the government had to provide one. Um, we've gone a long way from that to going to not only does the government have to provide one, it has to provide effective counsel. You know, it has to give you someone who's not just there, but is actually doing a good job. And there's a lot to be said for that in terms of if you want a good outcome in court, it turns out your counsel matters. It really matters. It matters a whole right? lot. <laughs> Turns out having a good lawyer is often all the difference in the world. And having a bad lawyer, you can lose cases that you absolutely should have won. And thus justice goes, you can have, you can be on death row when you're innocent, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting case. And this is in the minutia of how this functions in this particular set of circumstances where you're appealing after you've appealed to the state and failed. But it, 
it's it's just interesting that you you may be right in how this is fixed. There's probably a million ways to fix this because it's in such you know such a level of microscopic detail in terms of how these things overlap. Um, but certainly, it, something needs to be done. You you don't want innocent people on death row because they have uh, exhausted the process, right? Because they're like, oh no no no, we you you had your chance and it's over. It's like well. But also, you don't want people who are guilty to be able to stall forever. <laughs> they can stall a long time as it is, and it's mm -hmm. just, I don't know, it's complicated. Of course, in it's this case, when you're talking about guilty people stalling, these are people on death row who are stalling their execution. So they're, I mean, these people we're talking have been locked up for decades Yes. in, in yes. this particular case. So they're not out there killing other people if they're guilty, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. It's not like you need to, that's a good point, it's not like you need to rush to the execution um but yeah it, it, and that's how all appeals are i mean when you appeal a guilty yes. verdict you appeal it from behind bars and so that, yes. that needs to be established that when the primary purpose of the judicial system is to keep people safe from criminals the appeals process if you add to it does not take away from that yes Yes. That's an important Yes, it may add expense. It may yes. add other things. It, it's not going to – you're absolutely And those right. are absolutely. legitimate that things, but that's why we want, to, we want to protect the right to appeal because you throw someone in jail for 30 years and he spends all 30 years appealing his case. That doesn't change the fact that he spent those 30 years behind bars. Right. And if 15 right. years in, he actually proves that he's innocent, then that means we kept – you know, that, that we, you know, saved yeah, him from 15 on the part years of... of unjust imprisonment. Yes, yes. And there is also an obligation to pay him for those 15 years in some form because he has been, he has been the victim here. Yeah, which often doesn't happen, which is, no, and that's, and that's the thing. Yeah. We don't want to spend too much time on this because I want to talk about part of the constitutional issue here because there is a legitimate place for the Supreme Court, I think, to step up and say... The purpose of the Constitution in the Sixth Amendment and in the in the Fifth Amendment, I mean, there are Fourth Amendment. I mean, so many of these amendments actually have to do – I mean, Seventh Amendment, Eighth Amendment are all about the legal system, right? You know, we have mm -hmm. – you know, mm -hmm. we have civil cases. We've got excessive bail. We've got the Fifth Amendment, which, you know, is several things, but, you know – We've got, you know, the Fourth Amendment, which is being secure in your person's, you know, search and seizure, lots of things like that. All of that has to do with protecting people from the justice system itself. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And uh -huh. and so I would love for this Supreme Court to start looking at it from that perspective, saying the purpose of these amendments was to protect the people from the justice system, not to make the justice system easier for the justice system for the state you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> to make it and, convenient to and when so. you read clarence thomas's opinion it sure sounds like he's like because he's someone who's been involved in the justice system and he's like this is messy and this will make it messier and so we shouldn't do it and i'm like that's a bad argument that's a bad argument yeah. to say yeah, hey you could see why it would be appealing to a judge as you were just suggesting yeah because they don't they don't is... want to deal with this crap they're like these were horrible people who did these horrible things let's just kill them and move on and that's not a good way to look at it we need to look <laughs> at it as we need to exhaust every avenue here because that's what the constitution is designed to do and it's your job to look at that the little bit of the opinion on this one that i did read was odd to me it was odd uh the why they the arguments some of the arguments they made were strange seemed irrelevant because it, it's for for people who argue that the conservative justices are the ones who care about the constitution and the liberal justices don't in this case the conservative justices were talking about practicalities talking about some you know previous opinions and even using dissenting mm -hmm. opinions and then the dissenting opinion from this case was just talking about the sixth amendment more than anything else so it was right. It was right. A little bit of a turn. It there. was it was the exact opposite of what you'd expect. Where they're like, well, if you look in the minutia here, and the you know, and Sotomayor is like, no, look at the Sixth Amendment. <laughs> Maybe you makes me think of the majestic movie with uh, with uh, Jim Carrey. I I love that movie. As a side note, just, just 
not going to go on a tangent, but at one point he's like, maybe you're familiar with this. And he starts reading from the First Amendment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <The court>. <laughs> it's exactly like that, where it's like, let's get back to what you're actually supposed to be doing here. So in the second case we want to discuss, Kennedy versus Bremerton, this is the, this is the, the coach who was praying on the 50-yard line. Now, I'm going to leave the, the details of the case at that level of generality because the, the facts of the case are disputed and specifically disputed by the dissenters. Um, now, if you're familiar with the way courts work, generally speaking, the lower court, the first court to hear it, decides the facts of the case. And then if it goes to a higher court, they're usually deciding the case based on legal precedents and legal principles and not on the details of the case. So for example, by the facts of the case, I mean, if the Supreme, if the first court hears this case and they go, okay, so the coach goes after the game by himself, says nothing to anybody, isn't inviting anybody, isn't pressuring anybody. And he just goes to the 50 yard line and he prays. And this whole thing then developed organically where he's not coercing anybody, he's not saying this is a team thing, he's not doing any of that, that's a very different story than if he is saying, all right, everybody, come over here, we're going to say a prayer. Why don't you go invite the other team? This is, this is two different stories, and mm -hmm. different enough that they may have determined the outcome of the case, and, they are, and it's disputed what happened. But the first court, uh, the Supreme Court in this case, decided to go with the court that initially heard its interpretation of the facts. Does that make sense? It does make fairly sense. Fairly clear, yeah. Brad? So they're, so they're going with that. So the Supreme that. Court is not deciding the facts. The facts were established, and they're assuming the facts are correct. This is their decision. Um, and their decision is that he should be allowed to pray. Now, what the implications of this case and, uh, and where it's going to go could be could be as narrow as, well, in this case, this guy doesn't get fired because that's what ended up happening. The school district fired him. Um, and, uh, but it, it could be much more than that for a long time. Uh, religion has been in a strange place. Go, go ahead, Brad. I was going to say, yeah, obviously it's much more likely to be broader than that because if you're a school district and you're thinking of firing someone else for something similar, you might yes, think twice yes. after the Supreme Court case. And if you're someone yes. in a similar position, you're much more likely to do something now that you know it's less likely that you're going to get fired. You know, there's that yes. there's that ripple effect because now you've 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 shifted it because for a long time there was a clear line in the sand in terms of public schools and open displays of religion. And so this is, mm -hmm. and this is clouding that, that, that line. Yes, it is clouding that line and likely to lead to further cases. Absolutely. In because it's not, it's not erasing the line and drawing a new clear line in the sand. Uh -huh. It's, it's just muddying the current line, which I'm not saying yes. is a bad thing. I'm just saying it's, it's complicated. It's not finished. Mm -hmm. Yes. Whatever's going to happen from this isn't finished. Um, and, uh, if you've listened to us talk about, the First Amendment, you know, uh, Congress shall make the law respecting establishment of religion or the free exercise thereof. Um, roughly, I'm paraphrasing off the top of my head. This, this, is, uh, this is an area where the current congressional standard, which is sometimes expressed as uh, separation between church and state, congressional standard, did I say that? The current legal standard that draws a sharp distinction between the religious and the political uh, the state and churches is entirely bogus. <laughs> um, in, in, in a lot of legal cases, it's not, it's very hard to make, to draw something black and white. Mm -hmm. There are a few though, and this is one of them. And the easiest way to show that is something we've pointed to before. There were under the constitution, five or six states that had established religions and, and Massachusetts had a law that required you to go to church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And that was constitutional. That was, that was, in fact, the First Amendment is written specifically to protect Massachusetts's right to make that law and force people to go to church. Because <laughs> Congress shall make no law respecting or about 
an establishment of religion, like Massachusetts' establishment exactly, of religion, for example. It's a right? double-edged sword. People always interpret that as Congress shall not require people to have a religion. No, it's saying either way, Congress shall not do anything in regards to yes, establishing well, a religion. They can't require you to have a religion, and they can't stop your state from requiring you to have a religion. They, they, they just are out of it. But the states are 100% in it, and there's, a, there's a decades of history of that under the Constitution. And that was, and that was what the states knew they were getting into, right? That's what the representatives agreed to. That's why it's worded that way. The, the idea that public school can't have prayer because of the First Amendment is, is truly ludicrous. Now, maybe you could say it shouldn't have prayer, and so we should make a law or we should pass an amendment to the Constitution or something. That's fine. But to interpret the First Amendment as making that the standard is truly to, to know nothing about the history of religion within the United States and what the states were doing under the Constitution for years. Right? It's, just, it's just one of those things where you look and you're like, oh, okay, now I may or may not agree with an opinion, what, what, what the actual effect is, but in terms of what does it actually mean and what is the proper choice from the Supreme Court who are not supposed to be making laws and who are not supposed to be doing anything you know, along those lines, clearly the words don't mean you can't pray in school. That's clearly not what it's about at all. At all. The third case, the, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Um, this is, it's funny to me that this is all I know about it. Brad, most of what I know about this case is that New York was not happy with it. <laughs> so, so you have some more detail than that. <laughs> so, so the first thing is is that a New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin is not a phrase you should have heard before. Um, if you've heard <laughs> about this case, if you've read a couple of articles about this case, you probably haven't actually heard the name of the case. Um, I know that I've been hearing about it for a while before I ever saw the name of the case. Um, read right. many, We're giving many you the details. name of the case because I mean, read read quotes from the dissenting opinion, from the majority opinion, <laughs> you know, ramifications the name. without ever saying the name of the case. <laughs> And you want the name if you want to actually look at the case yeah, the directly, name is important see the actual because opinions. it's not just yeah. about you don't need to remember it, but if you want to find it, mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. that's why we're giving you the names. Yeah, to go actually and, and read the case and read some of the opinion, which is which is a lot of fun, and it's not as difficult as people make it sound. Um, this case is a uh, is one where the Supreme Court overturned a New York law that is over a hundred years old. Um, it was a six to three decision and struck down the law. And what the law was is that it restricted New York citizens from concealed carrying a handgun outside their home, which was the, the practical way of carrying a gun outside of your home. You know, there are other restrictions on other ways of carrying other guns. So, in practice, when you want to carry a weapon, you need to concealed carry it and it needs to be a handgun. And so what the New York law did is it made it extremely difficult to carry a concealed handgun. In fact, it was so difficult that it wasn't just a matter of jumping through a bunch of hoops. It was actually up to the government's discretion. So if you jump through all the hoops, it didn't guarantee that you would be granted the privilege. And at that point, it was a privilege because it wasn't something that you would get, assuming you'd go do the work. So this is different than a concealed carry law where they say, hey, you need to be able to do it safely. So you need to have training. You need to pass a, a, you know, a strong background check or, or et cetera, et cetera. No, they're saying you do all of these things and we'll think about it. You know what I mean? Or you need to demonstrate some extra reason why you specifically need to have this privilege before we grant it to you. And the Supreme Court said, clearly, that's a violation of the Second Amendment because the Second Amendment is a right and they need to be able to keep and bear arms. And bearing arms is definitely a part of that. Um, it, it, also, it also stems from there was a 2008 uh, ruling, uh, District of Columbia versus Heller. In that case... There was a, a test that was set up. It was a two-part test that was, is this something 
that historically involved the Second Amendment? And if it is, how does it hold up against scrutiny? Which means, does the government have a good reason for doing what they're doing, and do they have an interest in it? And these are are these tests are things the Supreme Court does on a regular basis, and it's based off of precedent, and it's it's silly, but. But in this case, they didn't overturn Columbia versus Heller, but they got rid of that second part. They basically said, is this something that historically is is violating the Second Amendment? And if so, then it's done. And so it's drastically changes the way you look at Second Amendment rights, which have historically been undercut in surprising ways without any kind of difficulty you know what i mean i mean no pushback yeah yeah. you have the assault weapons ban the federal ban that 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 survived you know you have tons of states that have severe gun restrictions like california new york that have withstood you know the court scrutiny for a long time for seemingly no reason for a clear-cut this is another one of those clear-cut constitutional issues where it's just constitutionally in there that they have the right to keep and bear arms. And so if you're not granting people that right, then it's a violation of the Constitution. It's it's not rocket science, but for the longest time, it's been muddied up and it's now becoming a clear line in the sand, which is very surprising and something I'm in favor of. Yes, it's uh, it was surprising. <laughs> I, I, like you said, I've never... There's never really been any pushback from the courts. Which is weird, isn't it? Like, like the, what there, happened? there must be that we just haven't heard about. I feel like there must be. But it, but it would have made big news if there had been in any of the recent decades. And there just just hasn't been. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of ignored. No, I mean, I mean, as I was researching this, you know, and I have this one interview with this lawyer who's talking about it. And he says that that case in 2008 – was the very first time that the Supreme Court recognized an individual right to own a gun. And I'm like, is that true? Because if that's true, that's <laughs> nuts. It's weird. What, what took the Supreme Court 200 years to recognize what was explicitly written into the Constitution? I have no idea. To address it like that? That's weird. That is odd. That is odd. Because it makes sense if you think about it. If you think about the laws that have gone gone I mean, like this New York law, it's been on the books for a hundred years without any issue. And there are many yeah. more laws like it. Yes, there are. There are. And it's it's worth noting again that in the way the Supreme Court works, they don't like suddenly release, hey, we've been reviewing all the laws on gun control, and this is the new standard, so everything below this line is is out. They, what they're doing is they're looking at a very particular case that's in front of them and they're deciding things. And that has implications in this particular case on the New York laws, right? It's a, it's a, it's interesting. It all, it almost be cleaner if they could just be like, look, we realized when we were looking at this case that we need to change the legal standard with regards to guns. And that's going to have an impact on half the states and that's going to but that's just not the way that legal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not the way the supreme court works what they can do is they can decide cases there has to be a case but again this may signal that bring us more cases for laws like this people who are not able to get a gun start suing and then the case may come to us and we may refer to this case and be like yeah this is similar well, and not just the Supreme Court, but but appellate courts, federal courts, state courts That's right. can That's then right. will will point to this and say, Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to strike down my state's gun law because it's clearly yes. unconstitutional as demonstrated by this recent Supreme Court ruling. Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. And, that's absolutely and that's right. how this becomes the new standard for the laws because it's being applied by all these other courts. Yes. Yes. To the big one, shall we? Dobbs versus Jackson. Yes. This is the case that everyone's holding up signs saying Dobbs versus Jackson. (laughs) Everyone keeps talking about, hey, you hear about Dobbs versus Jackson? Oh, yeah, Dobbs versus Jackson. The only, if you browse news articles looking at these cases that we've done, we've done three now, and now we're doing Dobbs v. Jackson, which is the Roe v. Wade case. You will not find a single one of these names unless you happen on the one article that, that uses it. At least Dobbs versus Jackson 
it's more often referenced in the articles, but never in the headline. Yes, and probably it's more referenced because they've already got Roe v. Wade, and like that's the one case everybody knows, right? Mm-hmm. You browse mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade, and you're going to hear about Dobbs v. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> the other ones talk gun control or religious liberty or something, you know what I mean? Something like that. It's the broad category will get you there. So in this case, um, we've talked about the, the uh, text of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is another one that, that builds on it, um, and how black and white it is that they are silly from a logical, legal perspective. And I've been impressed, actually, since this has been overturned, how many liberal judges and lawyers have been willing to say, yeah, yeah, the this right was silly. There, there is no, there is no basis in the constitution to find a right to abortion. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe it should be in there. Maybe you think that there should be a protection for uh, the right to abortion within the constitution. That's absolutely fine. That's very different than being able to read through the constitution and say, see, here it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. This is the spot. And I've been impressed how many people in good faith have been like, yeah, this decision was bad. Roe v. Roe v. Wade was bad. Um, the Supreme Court came out of nowhere and they created a variety of laws and restrictions on states, some of it in favor of abortion, some of it actually limiting the, the edges of abortion. There are going to be, and well, let me just state this because it should be common knowledge by now, but, but it's not somehow. The result of this decision is that now the states have all the power to decide what's going to happen in their state with regards to abortion. Which means it could go and the other way too. Yes, which means some states will actually have a freer abortion than was possible under Roe v. Wade. Because Roe v. Wade, as I said, kind of set the limits of it uh, at, at, several, in, at the extremes, both for how early and how late it mm-hmm. can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the states are yeah, because, the states are able to decide. And that's the thing is that Roe v. Wade didn't actually say you have, you know, a right to abortion. They said you have a no. right to abortion under certain circumstances. Yes, within these time frames. And then and that was then clarified yeah. later. Yes. From trimesters um, to viability. Yes, yes. So this decision has has been, you know, the talk of the internet for a long time. Um there are some funny, some funny uh, statements from people talking about how they're going to move to Europe. Um, if what you're looking for is the right to abortion as it was under Roe v. Wade, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, America is actually an outlier under Roe v. Wade in how uh, free you are to get an abortion. Most of Europe is far more restricted really? than Roe v. Wade allowed. Yes. I did not know yes, that. So- yeah, the United States is an outlier in how and what they allow with regards to abortion. Like, is it just more difficult, or is it only earlier, or is it banned a, in some countries? A lot of them are limited or... to like sixteen weeks okay. or twelve weeks. Okay. Now, often they often they have limitations on the time frame and things like that. Um. So yeah, yeah, and if if you were going to get a an abortion in the the second or third trimester. Um, you're gonna have a hard time finding one in Europe. Yeah, so they're they're not they're not banning it, but it is definitely restricted. Yeah, some of them may have banned it. I've only just heard uh, about several of them, and, and you know, kind of general the general. Yeah, I didn't, didn't mean things. to call you out there. I was just surprised. <laughs> you just by start this, asking for this knowledge about... you were you were giving me, I and su- I wanted to know more. Well, I was surprised when I heard it, right? Which is why I remember it. Um, I haven't looked into it in too much detail. Yeah, I mean, it's Europe. Um, who cares? We weren't, we, no one is actually moving to Europe anyway. So, <laughs> no, no, even that's... the people talking about it, I mean, let's be real. Right. Your occasional rock star will leave when a certain president is elected and things like that. But then they come back and spend most of their time here. Yeah. This is where the money is. They're like, this get where, rid of their patronage. The and... <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Rock in other countries still sounds like the Beatles. It's still super chill. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, with regards to this case, one of the big things that people are talking about is what does it mean for the future? Because the, the way uh, 
The way abortion was found in the Constitution, the way the reasoning went, was they, hey, they actually put it did in the due process that, clause. I want to okay, I want to say one thing about Roe Ro v. Wade and Dobbs versus Jackson. Okay. Because we're talking about how ridiculous Roe v. Wade is, and we talked about that before. But I do want to take note of the fact that, regardless of how illogical the argument for Roe v. Wade was, it doesn't change the fact that for the last 50 years, we've operated in a world <laughs> where Roe v. Wade was the law of the land, which means yes. that for the last 50 years, abortion was a constitutionally protected right, even if it was illegitimately a constitutionally protected right. It doesn't change the fact that it was a constitutionally protected right. Yes. And now all of a sudden out of the blue, I mean, with a couple months leaked notice, that that's been pulled, you know, that rug's been pulled out and completely changed overnight. And and that is a big deal, you know what I mean? And so a lot yes, of people are yes. really upset. And I get it. You know what I mean? I, I get it. I get the yes. massive protests against the Supreme Court saying, How could you do this to us? You know, how <laughs> could you tear away, you know, give us a right and then tear it away 50 years later? I, I, yeah, how regressive and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Like, it makes perfect sense that you'd be incredibly upset. And, and a lot of that stems from the fact that the Supreme Court has such a partisan function now that it, it, it is doing that more and more. You know what I mean? It's, it's uh -huh. giving it with one hand and then taking it back with the other and taking with one hand and then giving it back decades later with the other because more and more, I think it is becoming a partisan a partisan court and unreliable in that sense, you know, that yes, that so much of the reason Roe v. Wade is overturned now is simply because we have more conservative justices. Like that's why it happened. Yes. Yes. Which was, which is to some degree, uh, entirely by fortune, mm -hmm. right? Just the it timing just of people retiring and dying. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Which, which gives it an even more gross, you know, more cruel turn per se, if you're, if you feel like it's doing something terrible, I, I'm glad you pointed it out. Let me let me add on that a little bit. I want to separate my ire for the Supreme Court case, Planned Parent v. Casey and uh, Roe v. Wade. I thought you were going to forget from... Roe v. Wade for a second there when you hesitated. <laughs> What's that one case? What's that one case? The most famous one, the one that everyone's talking about <laughs> all the time. Um, that. Those cases, the legal reasoning was absolutely stupid and sh and it should absolutely be thrown out from a legal perspective. That is not – I've yet to hear a single person who's out there upset because that reasoning was rejected. Right? That's, that's not why they're upset. They're upset because of the, the actual effect, right? which is that now abortion is going to be illegal in many of the states. And because that reasoning also upheld other things. Yes, because there are yes, people upset that that to. reasoning was struck down because yes. it means that other things that were protected could be struck down as well. Yes, precisely where where I was going to go with this. Um, so I can have sympathy for people who, as you you were just describing, feel like they're getting the carpet pulled out from them in a partisan game. I I get that. I get that frustration, and and I get that uh, if your perspective on abortion is what what a lot of the people who are upset about this is. I get why you're upset and I can have sympathy for that. Um, if you were trying, if you were going to try and defend the reasoning of Roe v. Wade from a legal perspective, I have no sympathy for you, right? I have, I have nothing but ire for the reasoning there. It is, it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and those, and these are two very different things. There's the issue and the outcome of the law, and then there's the legal reasoning and principles. And one of these I have, I, I I can have some human sympathy for the people while at the same time uh, being willing to just absolutely torch the opinion. So with regards to where this is going to go, as Brad was saying, a lot rests on the right to privacy, which if you scan the Constitution, you will not find explicitly. Or if you and, read it. Uh, or, or if you read it or if you word search it. Um, well, I'm just saying it's not you, like a, a a quick scan won't show it. I'm saying read it, ponder it, and you won't find it. You know, <laughs> study it. Try and pull it out. Mm -hmm. See if it's in the margin somewhere. Um, it's not there. But one of the key phrases in the Constitution uh, that has 
carried a lot of weight is in the Fifth Amendment and then reiterated in the Fourteenth Amendment. It's that no person, uh, skipping a little, be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And then restated in the Fourteenth Amendment, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And what is the due process of law? Um, this is a phrase that has, for decades now, people, Supreme Courts have looked at cases, said, you know, they did everything they were supposed to do in this case, but the real process that should be due to the people has not been followed. The people need a just process. So we're going to add something that is due to them. We're going to insert some kind of additional step or some modification to make the process more just. That reading of this phrase allows you to read into the Constitution anything you feel good about, anything you want to pull, and, uh, and as long as it has some basis in the American history, you could say this is a part of our tradition and, and so on. So if you actually read the opinion shooting down Dobbs, or not shooting down Dobbs, shooting down Roe v. Casey, Roe v. Casey, Roe Ro v. Too Wade. Many names. This is why Planned the articles don't have any names. <laughs> this is why the articles don't. This is use why they it, yes. talk in general. Just going to confuse people. Just going to confuse people. It's confusing me clearly. Your um, people. I uh, <laughs> some days. Um. The uh, you totally derailed me because now I'm thinking about pronouns. My bad. <laughs> There's actually a place for that now. Um. The so in the, the argument here, um, you could say, as Clarence Thomas does in his opinion, his concurring opinion, there's the majority opinion that everybody signs off on that becomes the legal standard, that everybody, that at least a majority has to sign off on, and it becomes the legal standard. And then there's his concurring opinion. And in his concurring opinion, he notes that you can't put the right to abortion in the due process clause, because frankly, you can't put any rights into the due process clause. All it's saying is there's a process and that process can't be skipped, right? You, you have to go yeah, through there, the legal there process. There is a right in the due process clause, but it's literally a right to process. So for example, yes. no, I mean, and that's a real legitimate right because, yes, it because is. what important. are lynch mobs? Lynch mobs yes. are is taking the away process. That's right. the process. You know what I mean? That, yes. that back in the day, I mean, you talk about, because lynch mobs are always in reference to, to the KKK in the South, right? But before then, there was actually a place for them. Not saying necessarily a justified place for them, but a place for them that that you had times and places where society was was on the edge and someone would break the law. Some like like a a good example of this would be uh cattle thieves. You know, cattle thieves would steal a bunch of cattle. You get a posse together, you chase them down and you'd lynch them, right? And you'd kill them mm -hmm. right there on the spot without any process because there was no process, right? And the right. constitution is right. saying- You don't have courts, you don't have prisons. Yeah, exactly. You don't have any resources. And the constitution yeah. is saying, regardless of what's happening, regardless of what the situation is, there has to be a process that people have a right to that process, even mm -hmm. that cattle thief. And that- yes is the right that's being established in the due process clause. And it's an incredibly important one, but it's not one that's saying, actually, you have a right to justice generally. In other words, you have a right to all of your individual rights, whatever you may think they are. Because that's just too expansive. That's not how the Constitution is written. A lot of people, as we're talking about all these different things, may be thinking, okay, well, I mean, in the case of abortion, if I think abortion is a right, then it doesn't matter what the Constitution it says, it should be protected. And if you believe that, then yes, your government should protect it. But that's different than the Supreme Court having a legal role in protecting it. The Supreme Court's yes. job yeah. is just in regards to constitutional law. And so in the case of abortion, if you think abortion is a right that needs to be protected, then you need to get a law passed to protect it because right now there is no federal law. And so it's just a matter of whether or not there's a state law. Mm -hmm. 
That's exactly right. It's not, this isn't saying what should be the outcome. This is saying what role should the Supreme Court, which is deciding particular cases that then have implications, and they're drawing from the Constitution, what should they decide? Yeah, just like um, uh, Shin versus Ramirez, the question is the issue of this appeals process. It's the question the Supreme Court isn't asking is, should we overthrow the entire justice system on the state level with something much, much better, which is a question I am yeah. asking, but that's not one they're going to ask because they need to be focused on the constitutional questions, which there yeah, is still the room for them, yeah. them to do stuff, but not everything. Yeah, and it's worth noting that the power of the Supreme Court to a large degree is, as we've stated before, 100% the fault of the legislature who is not doing their job and hasn't for a long time. Um, so this this due process principle, uh, often called substantive due process, if you've taken political classes or, or legal classes, this should ring a bell to you. Uh, substantive due process is the concept that within the due process clause, there are substantive implications for justice that are can then be, that essentially that phrase conveys a lot of rights beyond simply you have a right to the process, whatever that process may be, but you have a right to a just process. Um, now, this, I think this is 100% a, a, the right legal principle change here, but oh my goodness, would it change things? Because the substantive process concept this, this truly unintuitive way of reading the Constitution so that you insert all kinds of things into this clause has been the norm for a long time now, and a ton of things rest on it. And so people are worried that the Supreme Court is start going to overthrow things like gay marriage and mm -hmm. other things. And they're right to think that that's possible. That because, is possible. Because there are Maybe a lot even, of things that aren't constitutionally protected. Yeah, there a lot are of things. actually most things are yes, not constitutionally protected. Most things are not constitutionally protected. That's absolutely right. Which means the legislature has to make a law, or you have to add it through an amendment to the constitution if you want it really to have all the power of a constitutional right. Um, and should that terrify people? On some of, in in practice, will that lead to the elimination of gay marriage? No. It's not going to lead to the elimination of gay marriage. That one, actually, you shouldn't be afraid of. Even if they got rid of the right to it through the Constitution, which is possible, I think that's, I think that could be on the horizon. If, if the others support Clarence Thomas's reasoning, which, which I guess is up for debate. I, you know, now I'm, as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I said it was likely. I'm going to, I'm going to immediately back that up to it. <laughs> it may be possible. <laughs> it may be possible. Like Roberts is, not yeah, you go have for a lot of conservative justices that are, that are pretty moderate. Moderate to the point that these cases that we just discussed are surprising, you know, especially, right. you know, Dobbs versus Jackson and uh, blah, 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 the New York one. Yes, yes. I thought uh, Kavanaugh would go the other way. And, and if Kavanaugh went the other way, Roberts would probably go the other way. Um, or vice versa. Anyway, or vice versa, yes. Uh, um, so. Taken as a whole, we'll take a step back real quick and, and do a little wrap up. And I'll take one um, more step back so I can be right behind you. <laughs> now I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> That's the idea. Why do you want to be there? <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you were in front, you know, in case you say anything, anything dumb, I can duck down behind I'm gonna take you the bullet. I'm not there, yeah. <laughs> I see. Um, in... Most of these cases, uh, even even the the one where they seem to be asserting the state, the the Ramirez one, the first one we talked about, where they seem to be prioritizing the state, uh, the state's decisions, even if maybe they shouldn't be under the constitution. Each of these is marking in some way a turn, not just from uh, liberal outcomes in the Supreme Court, but a fundamental shift in the way in which the justices are weighing cases, you know, the principles upon which they are determining what should happen. And when this is, as I mentioned at the very beginning, this, there have been really three Supreme Court eras that are universally agreed upon. Um, you could argue for more or less, but you get the founding area, er, area, era, which lasts up until the Civil War. Um, and during that time, <laughs> 
No, there's just not a lot of cases decided. I'm not going to go into that era at all. But that, that's the <laughs> era to, where they're figuring out what yes, the Supreme what on earth Court's is Supreme role Court even is because, supposed to do. Yes. because the Constitution mm-hmm. is too vague on it. So it's right. – it is – I mean really what they're establishing in that era is Supreme Court precedent saying when yes. we rule on a case, it matters not just for that case but for all other cases afterwards. Yes. So that's how yes, I would define the it founding has direct era, implications, the era yeah. of Supreme Court precedent, which is very important. Yes. And there, yeah, there are issues with interstate things. And, and, you know, there's a variety of things we could get into, but that, that probably is the big thing. What on earth is the Supreme Court going to do and what does that imply? Um, then you get the Civil War, right? You get the Civil War, you get Reconstruction, it, yeah. you get uh, uh, a significant shift in power and changes in the relationships between the state and the federal government. And all of this has, has implications of, you know, the, who is appointing the justices for many years and none of them are coming from the South and, um, and so on. You get, you can imagine that this, this creates this new era. And then the final era that has lasted up to our present time, uh, led by Oliver Wendell Holmes, um, kind of is the, the, the grandfather of it or father of it. Um, but really he, he is there right up until, uh, FDR. And then FDR really drives it home and, and gets a lot of control over the courts because he's a president for forever. <laughs> and at some point, the, uh, the people against him on the courts essentially give up because he, he's going to pack the court anyway. And they're just like, all right, we're done. And, uh, and they were probably right too, because they would have, they probably wouldn't have lasted long enough anyway. And then he, so basically he gets to decide what the courts think because he gets to appoint almost all of them. And, uh, and they come in with a very different judicial philosophy mm-hmm. and, it, and they're, they're drawing largely from Holmes. But the concept is often captured in the phrase living constitution. And under the idea of a living constitution, um, you're not focused so much on the meaning of the laws, but on a more Darwinian concept of society as a growing, changing organism that must evolve. And this is the language of Oliver Wendell Holmes. Um, and under this idea, the Supreme Court ought to be more active and ought to be progressing things. They ought to be doing things like maybe even inserting rights into places where yeah, there clearly and, and aren't this any. This is where you get the Supreme Court that – which is what we have today where in so many of their opinions are talking about – what the ramifications are. Yeah, what's the say, practical outcome of our decision? Where they say, yeah. we need to do this to help people. We need to do this to protect people. We need to do this because there's an injustice that we're going to fix, which sounds awesome, right? That sounds great. Yeah. But that doesn't make sense in terms of a, gov- a governing body whose job is simply to deliberate on one document. You know what I mean? Or even on precedent, it doesn't make on sense. On the document and laws under it, yeah, yes. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for them to be talking about what feels good. You know what I mean? Yes, and, and to the degree that they are, I mean, maybe uh, certainly a lot of people have been fans of this. Um, to the degree that they are, what they're doing is they're not interpreting the law. They're legislating. Right? They're, they're legislating. And so if you have a legislative body that's making law and is representative of the people, and you like democracy, the Supreme Court doing this kind of thing is fundamentally at odds with democracy. It's, it's a bunch of unelected people who are determining what principles are going to be good going forward. And, and for a long time, that was largely liberal progressives. But it's probably, if you are liberal and you're really upset about Roe v. Wade, you should be thrilled to death that they are not, that the current justices are not a bunch of living constitutionalists. Because otherwise, because... <laughs> instead of just repealing liberal laws that the Supreme Court has put in place, like Roe v. Wade, that's what's happening with Dobbs versus Jackson is 50 years ago, the Supreme Court legislated a new law into existence, and now they've repealed it. But, yes. but what they could do is continue that that trend and start passing a bunch of conservative laws of all sorts. Yes. If that's yes, what they, they could if say. If they were just partisan and nothing else. Yes. Yes. So one of the big words that comes up in cases under under recent Supreme Courts is balancing. They go, we got to balance, and, and Roe v. Wade does this. We got to balance the rights of the fetus against the rights of the woman. And in some cases, maybe the rights of the fetus trump, and in some cases, the rights of the woman trump. Um, if you had this Supreme Court doing that, what would they say? They would say, 
well, the right of the fetus obviously trumps. Yeah, so abortion Therefore, should abortion be is illegal because there's a right to life in the Constitution, and they would ban it. Yeah, and they could have done that just as easily they could as have Roe done v. That. Wade was passed, was judged, was ruled on yes. 50 years ago. Yes, they absolutely could have done that. They didn't. There is a restraint there that people are not appreciating, and it's because it's precisely because they reject the idea that they can do that and that they should do that, that they should be imposing progress on the people, right? Um, it's, it's precisely because they're not activist that they repealed it, but didn't ban abortion. Um, it's a, it's interesting. <laughs> it's, uh, and it, depending on, again, on justices like Kavanaugh, who is, <laughs> I think we've said this before, Kavanaugh probably it's possible that he would have got shot down as a nominee for the Supreme Court if the madness about uh, about his sexual conduct in his youth didn't come forward. Um, there were conservatives and libertarian Senate members who did not like his his legal jurisprudence. They didn't like him as a judge. Wait, are and you saying there he... are libertarian Senate members? <laughs> Libertarian-esque. Okay. Was, no, there actually are. Was, there actually are. You have to send me a list later. Not 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 running for the Libertarian Party, obviously. No, that's, yeah. That's no, I'm, I mean, but genuine Libertarian senators. I'd like a list with more than, than two names in the whole Senate, let alone in that committee. We're talking about a small group of senators. Now you're talking about the, the multiple Libertarian senators in that committee, and it's just... Well, well, the whole Senate, the whole Senate votes on the approval of a of a judge, right? And if you get if you get all of the liberals against it, okay, okay, and you get all of the Republicans for it, except a very small group, right? It, that small group actually has. power I thought to you were talking specifically things. about the committee hearings when you were talking about the Libertarians. You're talking about the vote oh no 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 uh, yeah I'm talking about I'm talking about the vote yeah okay yeah um but and so some of this is going to depend on whether or not there is a fifth judge with. Gorsuch, Alito, uh, Thomas, and uh, Roberts, and Roberts. I guess it's Roberts and uh, Gorsuch, Alito, Thomas, and there's someone else that I'm forgetting. Kavanaugh. Anyway, you've got to you got to get to five. Oh, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh yeah, Barrett. 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 Barrett's the other like solid conservative. So you have four solidly uh, this kind of thinking people, but then Kavanaugh and uh, and Roberts are. Kavanaugh, based on his past record, though he's ruled with them so far, and then uh, Roberts is <laughs> Roberts is wherever the wind blows. Apparently, he even said in his concurring opinion he didn't like uh, getting rid of Roe v. Wade completely. <laughs> he would have he would have adjusted it, even though he voted to get rid of it completely, which is a weird position it's, to be in. It's it's the equivalent of saying I'm only siding with you guys because you're winning. <laughs> really I, I don't want to seem incompetent as a chief justice by always being on the losing side. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the win here, even he's though weird. I disagree. He, I, I've, there've been books written on why he's trying to do what he's doing. And he seems to be trying to preserve the reputation of the court and ultimately doing a terrible job of it. Anyway, for the future, the conservatives right now are young. They're super young. And barring some kind of, I mean, I guess Thomas is 74. Was that what yeah. we determined? Mm -hmm. I say determined as if we had to like add numbers or something and not just read the figure. <laughs> is that what we we've done up? calculations? We've been, we've been reading code and things. I and actually we went came up to with his birthplace and pulled up the record. <laughs> so he's 74. So he is the oldest of them. Um, but this court is fairly young. And assuming that they live a long time, we could have, you know, and that they that they are wise in when they die or retire, <laughs> so that they their positions are passed on right to people of similar mind, and that of course that requires Republican presidents who are not only in office but willing to choose such people. Um, but it's entirely possible we are in a new era, and it will seriously change law in ways that Congresses haven't in, I don't know, since the New Deal, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or at least since the, the uh, 70s and 80s. Um, the Supreme Court may be the most interesting thing for 
decades to come and the thing that it's actually making significant changes, generally, it's going to be in the form of repealing laws and regulations and sending them back to the states. Yeah, which which in general, I think is going to be a good thing. There's definitely going to be- I like it. There's definitely going to be some hiccups. There's definitely going to be some growing pains. There's definitely going to be some frustration when you have rugs pulled out from underneath you, but- yeah. But in general, I think it's going to be a good thing because like I said, it's even if you agree with the current laws the Supreme Court has enacted, the way they've done it is a serious problem. And so we need to get back to the process because as I said before, process matters. And and that's something that this new era could be about is about honoring the process and honoring the actual constitution and how it's supposed to work and that might not be a bad thing. No, I think it. I think it'll be a good thing for the era going forward, and let states decide some of the most controversial decisions. Because heaven knows Congress isn't going to do it. And with that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com, where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks, and have a wonderful day.